The text this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 34, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Actually, why don't we stand one more time? Stand up if you're able to, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. And I want to preface the text by saying this, uh, we're about to read what we're about to read this morning. Uh, takes place at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, before the crucifixion of Christ, there are many, many conversations uh, that reveal to us that the disciples did not fully grasp or understand what Jesus was about to do on the cross. Uh, in our text today, we're going to see a clear example of this. In fact, here we read about Jesus calling Simon Peter uh, by name to offer hope right before he experiences a great failure. And God is calling to offer us that same hope today. Let's go to our text. The Bible says, beginning in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, make sure you strengthen your brothers. Verse 33, but Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You will deny three times that you even know me. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Speak to us today. Continue to move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today we are continuing our series entitled, God is Calling. God is Calling. I know I've said this before. Uh, have you checked your phones? We're not going to get a phone call in the middle of service. Because uh, if we do, you'll very often hear me say, Jesus is Calling. We've been talking about how you might respond if God called you by your name. I've mentioned before that God, in the Bible, God calls plenty of people by name, but I've only actually found seven times in the Bible where God calls someone by name twice in a row. How many of you know that when, if God repeats something twice, it's important? There's something to it. Like Abraham, Abraham, or Moses, Moses, or Martha, Martha, plus every time, every single time that God calls someone by name, we can see that he usually, say usually, he usually follows it with something very profound and powerful that he actually wants to do in the life of the person that he is calling. So if God is calling you this morning, God wants to do something in your life. God wants to speak to you in a real way. And so we know that God called Abraham to remind him that he must be a first in his heart and in his life. How many of you know that it's important to keep God first in your priorities? Amen. And then God called Jacob in order to, to calm his fears and assure him that God is always with him. I'm so glad that the Lord is always with us. He called Moses. To, to tell him that he, he sees all of the suffering in our world and he wants to use Moses and us to do something about it. He also called Samuel as a young boy to demonstrate how important it is to actively, say actively, 
to actively listen to God's voice. And then last week, I don't know if anybody remembered who we talked about, but God called Martha. God called Martha to remind her to avoid the distractions. How many of you have ever been distracted? To avoid the distractions and for Martha to choose the better thing. See, Martha was so busy serving and working that she was lacking in her worship. But Mary showed us what it's like to only have eyes and ears for Jesus. And so we concluded that meaningful intimacy, and I hope you got this, I hope you are grasping the main things, that meaningful intimacy and fellowship with God will never say never. Meaningful intimacy and fellowship with God will never come out of the busyness of Martha's kitchen. On the other hand, we know that, that Mary, little Mary, she modeled that it could be found at the feet of Jesus by what? By choosing the better thing. So choose the better thing, folks. Choose the better thing. And so today, the sixth person that God calls by name is Simon Peter. Simon Peter, depending on what translation, sometimes it has both names. Sometimes you'll see Simon. Sometimes you'll see Peter. Now listen, Peter gets a bad rap. Anybody ever get a bad rap in life? You do, one, you do something wrong one time and it follows you. And it's like, oh yeah, you're the guy that picked your nose in the third grade. <laughs> oh, you're the girl that had the toilet paper hanging out of the back of your skirt. You're, you're the, you know, Peter gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap for being impulsive. He gets a bad rap for being mouthy. He gets a bad rap for being headstrong. But I think that actually describes some people that we know today. And yet Peter is, is easily, he's easily one of the most relatable and, and likable characters that we actually meet in the gospel. See, when Jesus enters Peter's life, that plain and simple a fisherman became a new person with new goals and new priorities. How many of you know that you are not the person you used to be if you've encountered Jesus? If you've encountered Jesus, you are not who you used to be. And that's what happened in the life of Peter. Peter was transformed. Peter was changed. Peter was not the person he used to be. And yet Peter did not become a perfect person overnight. And neither did you. Like, like some might or would expect him to become. I uh, see sometimes people think that followers of Christ and, and churches should be full of perfect people. And when we are not, they usually call us hypocrites. But Simon Peter was far from perfect. Again, neither are we. Instead, we know that Peter's story is, is actually, it's riddled with mistakes and missteps and, and things where he, I, I don't know, I, I feel like I, I'm a Peter sometimes where, where I, I don't know if you've ever misspoken or, or spoken too soon or, man, I wish I could take those words back. I, I wish I could just not say that. What was I thinking? But I really think that that's why many of us like Peter. In fact, there was, we know that there was at least one blunder in Peter's life that actually almost ruined him. One failure that he almost did not recover from, but thankfully, Jesus saw it coming. He saw it coming. And the Savior, he, he offered Peter some hopeful and, and some compassionate counsel. And, and we, can find, we find that story in our text that we already let, read in Luke 22. And she, you see, the Last Supper was actually, it actually made for a very solemn evening. I don't know if you remember what happened. 
at the Last Supper, but this is right before Jesus is going to face the cross. We know that if you read about it, emotions ran high as we know that on that night, Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he began, he actually began the tradition of communion. And, and we know that in that meeting, in that gathering, in that last supper, Jesus revealed that among his closest friends, among his disciples who he had called, who he had wanted to bless, who he had wanted to use, among them there was a traitor in their midst. And so when Jesus predicts his betrayal, the disciples, man, there's so much like us sometimes. The disciples, they start asking each other, is it me? Is it you? Who, who, who could possibly betray the Savior? Who could possibly betray Jesus? After all he has said, after all he has done, who could possibly betray him and then all of a sudden things shift a, a discussion evolves into a, a rather childish argument over who among them is the greatest because if I'm the greatest I can't be the betrayer if I'm the greatest if if I'm the one that Jesus looks to I can't be the betrayer now Peter must have been the loudest in the bunch because we know that it's on the heels of this argument that Jesus singles Simon Peter out and calls him by name not once but twice. And one more time, our text in Luke 22, let's go there again, our text in Luke 22, 31 through 34. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Translation this time. The Bible says, Simon, Simon, Peter, listen. Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you like grain. But I have prayed especially, say especially, I have prayed especially for you, Peter, that your faith and your confidence in me may not fail. And you, once you have turned back to me again, strengthen and support your brothers in the faith. And Peter, kind of shocked, said to him, Lord, I, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will utterly deny three times that you even know me. And so in response to Peter's arrogance, Jesus issues a, a sober warning about Satan. How many of you know that Satan is real? The devil is real. He's not a figment of your imagination. The truth is, Satan wanted to crush Simon Peter and uh, the others like grains of wheat. And ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has always stood opposed to God's people. And if you don't know, I want you to know that you have an enemy in your life. If you're the kindest, nicest person, you have at least one enemy. And I want to remind you this morning that the devil is not on your side, that Satan Satan is not for you, that he only wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you and, and destroy you. And so I want you to know that he is opposed to you, opposed to you. Listen, God, uh, 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 people's beliefs about Satan, they sometimes range from the absolutely silly concepts to the abstract like like from the little red guy with horns and a pitchfork who stands on one shoulder right urging you to sin gotta do it give in 
to a basic expression used to describe a personification of evil. So the devil, some people, they don't think he's real. They don't think he's an actual person. They don't think Satan is actually real or a person, just a personification of evil. And so whenever there's evil, that's the devil. No, no, no. There is an actual devil. He is your enemy and his main goal. He wants to destroy you. But the Bible really, it gives us a clear picture of who Satan is and how he affects our our daily lives. Simply put, the Bible defines Satan as an angelic being who fell from his position in heaven uh, due to sin and is now completely opposed to God and whoever God is for. In fact, Satan is doing all that he can to frustrate and prevent the purposes of God and to tempt God's people to sin. See, at least twice in Scripture, Satan is referred to as a tempter. And and that's really his goal. He acts in a way that is very subtle and, and seductive in order to tempt us step by step to move away from God and toward a life of sin and self-indulgence. Now listen, there's a story of a, of a, uh, about this woman who comes home and shows her husband this expensive dress that she just bought at the mall. And when her husband gets all upset about how much she spent on the dress, she she joked and said, honey, the devil made me do it. Try that one, ladies. And then then the husband replied, well, well, you should have said, get thee behind me, Satan. And the woman quickly replied, I did. But he said that the dress looked the same from the front that it does from the back. (laughs) Listen. That's that's exactly what Satan does. Satan makes sin look sexy. Satan makes sin look sexy. He makes it attractive. He makes it appealing. He makes it appetizing. Like it's no big deal because it looks and it feels and it smells so good. See, back in the Garden of Eden, Satan made that single piece of fruit look like the most delicious, desirable delicacy on the planet. And he does the same thing with the sin that is hanging right before your eyes. See, the devil doesn't say, I'm going to tempt you to become an alcoholic. No, Satan says, my, my. Doesn't that drink look delicious? Look at the beautiful color in that glass. Look at the shimmer of the ice. What about that warm, tingling feeling as you, as you drink it? The little umbrella or the cherry placed at the top. The the devil doesn't say, I'm going to lead you into an affair that will absolutely destroy your marriage. No. He makes it appealing. The devil says, isn't she an attractive woman? I know you're married, but isn't she an attractive woman? Or or isn't he so charming and thoughtful? Wouldn't you like to spend a little time with that person? You don't have to tell your husband. You don't have to tell your wife. After all, they're giving you attention. They said your dress is pretty. They said they like your smile. You maybe don't get those compliments from your significant other. 
See, that's how the devil works. In our text, Peter thought that he was smarter. He thought that he was stronger than Satan. He replied to Jesus' warning about Satan with a declaration of dedication in verse 33 when he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison. I am ready to even die with you. In other words, Jesus, bring it on. Lord, I will never lose my faith in you. I would never, ever do anything to disappoint you. And because of that, some have called Peter the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. At least this is a good example of that, right? See, Peter thought that he was standing strong. And yet Jesus knew that in less than 12 hours, Peter, he would deny his Lord three times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible warns us not to make the same mistake. It says, so if, say if. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Listen, one of the biggest mistakes that you and I can make is believing that we are invincible, believing that we are invulnerable against Satan's attacks. And so if you have been addicted to alcohol in the past, Satan might say, it's okay to go to the bar. It's okay to be in that place where there's all this free alcohol. It won't harm. You know, Satan might even say, God will keep you from it. It's okay. And go, go and witness in that place. It doesn't matter that he delivered you from it. Go and be there. Again, that's how the devil works. He wants to make you feel uh, invincible. Like, man, God delivered me from that so I can go back to it and not be harmed by it. Be careful lest you fall. Be careful. See, one of the cities that we read about in the Bible is uh, the city of Sardis. And, and Jesus addressed one of the letters to the seven churches in Revelation to the church in Sardis. And, and we know that that city, Sardis, sat at the top of a steep hill, roughly 1,500 feet above the main roads, and had natural rock walls on the north and on the east and on the west. And slopes of this hill were almost completely vertical. And the only access to the city was from a very narrow path on the south slope and so this made the city of Sardis one of, one of the most easily defensible cities of the ancient world. In fact, any attempt to capture the Acropolis of Sardis was considered utterly impossible and so around 547 BC the king of Lydia instigated an attack against Persia but he was thoroughly beaten and so he decided to retreat to Sardis where he felt quite safe and secure. But we know that King Cyrus of Persia and his men, actually, they surrounded the city of Sardis and they camped outside of it for days and days, but the people of Sardis still didn't feel threatened. You see, sitting comfortably within the fortress, the, the citizens of Sardis, they became overconfident. They became complacent. Then Cyrus actually sent a handful of men around to the north side of the city who decided, you know what, they're not expecting it. 
And so they slowly and methodically and carefully climbed the rock wall, which had been left completely unguarded. And so one by one, the soldiers, they scaled the wall. They entered into the city and they slaughtered the citizens in their sleep. A disaster that could have easily been avoided had the people of Sardis been aware and alert and ready. See, time and again, history has proven that there's no such thing as an impenetrable fortress. You and I are no exception. Each one of us has a, we have weaknesses that we may not be aware of, but Satan knows them. And guess what? If he knows them, he will exploit them whenever he can, like a troubling addiction or a, a, a betraying thought or a compromising situation. See, temptation comes in many different forms in, at different levels of intensity. And whether it's a box of donuts tempting you to cheat on your diet or the flirtations of a coworker tempting you to cheat on your spouse, we all, every single one of us face temptations large small on a daily basis and God is calling to offer some hope and a way out see several years ago discipleship journal asked readers to rank the area of temptation with which they struggled more and this is what people said number one on their list of temptations that people struggled most was materialism Materialism. Number two was pride. Number three was self-centeredness. Number four was laziness. Number five was anger, bitterness, and sexual lust, including porn. All of those were a tie for number five. Number six was jealousy. Number seven was gluttony. Number eight was lying. See, temptation is one of Satan's most powerful tools for leading people away from God. But the good news is every single time we face temptation, we have an opportunity to be like Jesus. See, in Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says that Jesus was, he was tempted in every way. Say every way. One more time. Say every way. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so we know that Jesus faced temptations every single day, but he never gave in. He always made the right choice, and he can help some of us to overcome the temptations that Satan waves right in front of your face. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. Thank God for a faithful God. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation, say not, He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, because you will be, when you are tempted, he will always show you a way out so that you can endure. Listen, if you're here this morning and you want to argue with God or you want to argue with Scripture and say, Pastor Freddie, you don't know the temptation of my life. You don't know how I give into it because it's just too much for me. I have tried fasting and I have tried this and I have tried that and the temptation is just too great. I want you to take your argument 
argument up with God because the word of God says, so God speaking says, when you are tempted, that he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Every single time we're tempted, we have no excuse. No excuse. Holy Spirit is there. God is there. God, help me. Help me. What's the way out? What's the way out? So listen, whenever we're wrestling with temptation, we can turn to God every single time for help. That same study that I mentioned earlier revealed that 84% of respondents were able to resist temptation through prayer. 76% by avoiding compromising situations and 66% through Bible reading. In other words, by relying on God and avoiding certain situations, I'm convinced that we can resist and overcome many of Satan's temptations and yet there will still be times when you stumble and fall. I'm not perfect. Anybody perfect out there? We're not perfect. Peter failed. Peter fell. Peter gave in. See, even though Christ warned him ahead of time, Peter still did exactly what Jesus said he would do. And later in the same chapter, we know that the temple guard arrives to arrest Jesus and leads him to the home of the high priest. And following at a distance, Peter waits in the courtyard, warming himself by the fire until a servant girl recognizes him and announces, Hey, hey! This is one of Jesus' followers. But what does Peter do? He denies it. He denies it. He says, woman, I don't even know him, Peter yells. And after a while, someone else made the same claim, but Peter replies, no, I am not. Finally, a third person notices Peter's accent and accuses him again of being the Jesus' disciple. And so Peter, cursing and swore, I don't know that man. Just then, what do you think happened? The rooster crowed. And you can almost imagine Jesus glancing at Peter from across the room. And Christ's words flashed through Peter's mind in that moment. And running from the courtyard, having realized the very thing he said he would not do, Peter wept bitter tears. He had betrayed the Lord. He had denied him. Peter failed. He failed big time. This was likely the lowest moment in Peter's life. But remember what Jesus said to him in verse 32. Go there again. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have, not if, so when you have repented and turned to me again, Strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus already knew how badly Peter would stumble and fall. And I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but Jesus already knew that you were going to fail in that area. Jesus already knew that you were going to give in to that temptation. Jesus already knew that you were going to fall into that old habit, that old sin. He knew that Peter would stumble and fall too. 
but he prayed that Peter's faith would remain intact. He knew that Peter would eventually repent of his failure and renew his courage and convictions. When, when that happened, Jesus wanted Peter to be there for the other disciples to strengthen their faith too. And so Satan won a battle in Peter's life, but Jesus would win the war. And I want you to know this morning that you are on the winning side, that you do not lose in this if you do not quit, that you do not lose in this if you do not give up. If you've stumbled, if you've failed, if you've tripped, if you've fallen, get up. Get up, man of God. Get yourself up, woman of God. Don't stay down. Dust yourself off. Get back on the horse. Get back on your mission. Get back to where you were. Devil wants to say you can't get back there anymore. My God says the contrary. Your latter days can be better than the former. God will redeem what you have left. God will bless you in this new season. Leave the failures behind. Move forward into victory. See, sadly, we all give in to temptation. We all stumble. But let me tell you something. Your, our failures don't define us. Your failure doesn't define you. It doesn't. What you do next defines you. What you do next after you've fallen. What you, what you do next after you've given into temptation. See, and, and Chuck Colson, Charles Colson, he knew all about that. If you know anything about his life or have even heard his name, he was a presidential aide to Richard Nixon, and he was, he's, he was often referred to as Nixon's hatchet man. And we know that Chuck became involved in the infamous Watergate scandal in the early 1970s. And in 1974, Colson pleaded a guilty to Watergate-related charges and served seven months in federal prison camp in Alabama. And during the trials, however... We know that Colson accepted Jesus Christ. He had a transformation. He entered into prison as a born-again believer. But Colson, we know that he emerged from prison with a new mission. A new mission. Mobilizing the Christian church to minister to prisoners. And by the grace of God, the former White House hatchet man, was, he was transformed into a humble servant seeking to proclaim God's love and forgiveness to those most in need of mercy. Anybody ever need mercy here this morning? We know that he founded a ministry that has now, today, even after his death, it has expanded to over 100 countries and continues to introduce the good news of Jesus to prisoners and their families. So I think both Simon Peter and Chuck Colson are living proof that we serve a God of second chances and new beginnings. How many of you know that you serve a God of second chances and new beginnings? See, Peter may have stumbled, Peter may have given into temptation, but he kept his faith. He repented and God used him to lead the other apostles into literally changing their world. The truth is, failure is actually a part of success. 
failure is a part of success. If we let it, it can actually strengthen our resolve. <laughs> Satan may trip us up occasionally, but if we hold tightly to our faith, if we turn back to God, if we learn from our mistakes, then God can still use us to do great things. And what a testimony your life can be. Worship team, come. See, I, I get it. I, I look at different people, and, and I didn't necessarily grow up in the Christian church. I didn't necessarily grow up knowing all of the things of the Word of God. And so I look back on my life, and my, li my life is a, a series of mistakes and a series of just blunders, of, of times when I just messed up royally, when I thought I had it all together. And uh, I'm so glad that God took my messed up, jacked up, wrecked life he took my brokenness and he restored it. He gave me a new mission. He gave me a new start. He took a guy who couldn't even talk in front of two or three people. And today I'm doing this by the grace of God, not because there's anything special in me, not because I was born with a, a golden spoon in my mouth or I had it all together, not because I was a, an eloquent or educated public speaker. See, I was none of those things. I could not do what I'm doing today I do what I'm doing today by the grace and by the mercy and by the power of God. Looking back at this in 1 Peter 5, 8, the apostle Peter would later write, be alert and, so, and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That sounds like the advice of someone who truly speaks from experience. And so Peter, we know he was almost devoured because he wasn't alert. I think Jesus called Simon's Peter na Simon Peter's name to assure him that yes, Satan is prowling around looking for someone to devour, but thanks to God's wonderful grace, we can all experience forgiveness and a fresh start. Stand to your feet. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus' first words to Simon Peter were, listen, Gospel of Mark chapter 1, his first words to, to Simon Peter were, Simon Peter, come and follow me. And his last words to, to Peter in John 21 and 22 were, follow me. And see, every step of the way between those two challenges was filled with stumbles and missteps. But Peter never gave up. He, he, his faith never truly failed. And Peter continued to follow Jesus Christ into eternity. And listen, my prayer this morning is that you and I will follow in his footsteps. And so whether you've stumbled, whether you've fallen, whether you've given into temptation, and now you bear guilt and shame in the shame of failure, I want to encourage us this morning to be like Peter. Don't let go of your faith. Turn back to God. Seek his forgiveness. Allow him to give you a fresh start. Because God is calling. God is calling. And what you do next can and will transform your life.
if you let him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to your people. I believe in Jesus' name that you are doing it this morning, that you are touching lives. So in the name of Jesus, just have your way. Have your way. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.